give you an opportunity to just to get a deep breath, um, spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically, financially, I don't know, whatever, all the ease you can find, whatever you need this morning um, to get a deep breath so that you can hear this morning. Um, we do this every week, just an opportunity to kind of get some perspective on our lives and um, get to be better listeners, I guess. My son, Reese, um, we've been using since he was a little guy, we've been saying to him, you're, you're not being a very good listener. And um, sometimes uh, that's true of us too as adults, and when we come into this place, those of us who uh, spend a lot of time here or spend a lot of time listening, trying to, trying to learn more about God, we, we uh, are hearing, but we're not listening. And uh, with Reese, we always have to m- remove the distractions. We have to, have to say, you have to put the video games up, or you have to quit petting the dog, or you have to, and look me in the eyes. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do today, just like I would ask Reese, is to kind of let the stuff go in your life for a moment, um, and uh, focus on uh, what God might want to say to you today. So before we get going, I want to have a, a short moment of prayer together, just to, if, you're, if you're kicking the tires on the whole God thing, you're not sure about God, that's okay, you're in the right place. Um, even if you don't believe in him, he believes in you, and it gives, this gives you an opportunity to kind of uh, just kick the tires a little bit. And um, so during this moment, just a time to kind of get some perspective on your life, get quiet. Some of you don't get quiet ever. Um, You've got too many kids in the house or dogs in the house or whatever it is. And So just a moment to get a little bit quiet um, and uh, get a chance to hear from God. Let's do that, and then I'll close this real quick. God, in the midst of the quiet and a baby, (laughs) I just thank you for that baby, for those little sounds and for the, it just reminds me that when people came to Jesus with kids and babies, he just said, this is what you need to be like if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be like that. Would you simplify our lives today, God? Would you, in this moment, would you give us a different perspective, a better understanding of who we are, of what you want from us, what life is about. God, in this sermon series called Game Changers, I really, you know, I've been praying hard that this would change things for people. The way they see you, the way they see themselves, the way they see faith. Would you get into our hearts and into our lives right now and soften our hearts so that we can hear this message today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we uh, go into the second week of a series called Game Changers, and by the way, I already hate that title, but uh, you won't hear much of it the rest of this sermon. But um, anyway, the idea of Game Changers is this, that there are things in our lives that we hear or do every now and then that change everything for us. Sometimes it's just one comment, sometimes it's just a little thing, and it changes everything. For me, uh, I was thinking about this week, what's a good example of this in my life? When I was in junior high, my dad had me start mowing the yard. And I remember the kid across the street started mowing the yard, and, and I wanted to when I was, I mean, Reese is already asking me, and he's six, um, but I, I was really pushing hard to mow the yard. Something about something loud and dangerous all at one time. Whoa, that was loud. Um, something dangerous and loud and something I, could, I can control seemed really cool to me as a kid. Finally, my dad, let me, uh, my dad let me run the lawnmower for the first time, and I remember watching the kid across the street, and I remember watching my dad and just thinking, it doesn't look that hard. You know, and, and Dad had this push mower, 
And so I got out, you know, I get the mower started, which just feels cool anyway, you know. First time you, you're the guy that actually started this thing is really cool. And I started feeling really cool, and I started pushing this thing. Like, this is not what I pictured. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's like hills, and there's holes, and I'm like getting beat up. And I'm just, I mean, I weighed 75 pounds dripping wet at that point in my life, you know. So I barely had a muscle on my body, but neither did the kid across the street. And he didn't look like he had that much problem. And I finished up mowing, and I mean, it was like, take the rest of the day off. I was so tired, you know. And the, the next Saturday came, and Dad said, hey, buddy, guess what you get to do again today? And I'm like, oh, no. And now I, I, I've, I've made it a big deal, and now Dad, I've asked Dad, and now I've got to mow the yard. And so I get out there, and I got about halfway done, and I went in, and Dad said, are you done? I said, no, I just don't think I can do anymore. And he said, well, John, some things are just hard in life. I'm like, yeah, and, and I really want to be good at this. And Dad said, well, maybe you know, maybe you're, you're doing it wrong, you know, well, how hard it can it be, you know, so we went out, he started it up, and he pushed a different bar that was on the mower that I had never noticed before, and some of you are already getting this, he pushed a bar that makes the thing self-propelled, and I've been pushing a self-propelled mower without the self-propulsion, and weighing 75 pounds for a yard and a half, and when I, I watched Dad do that, and I realized in a moment, I know what I've been missing. I get it. You don't need to show me anything else, so I'm beating on him. Dad, I get it, I get it. I want to run it now. So I started the thing up, and I pushed the bar and mowed the yard the way the thing was intended to be used from the very beginning. I didn't know it. I've been pushing a lawnmower that was meant to be self-propelled. And one little thing, one little epiphany was a game changer for me. In fact, to this day, to this day, I've got a much better mower than then, but it's still self-propelled and it's a push mower. It's not really a push mower. You, you stand behind it and walk. And I mean, this thing does its job. And every time I start it and I hit that bar, I go, oh boy, am I glad that somebody finally told me that things are easier than I thought they were, that I'm not using this thing right. That's the heart of this message, of these series of messages. That in the midst of your religion, in the midst of your faith, in the midst of the way that you think about God, it could be, in fact, I believe in most cases, American Christians are pushing a self-propelled lawnmower through religion. They're, they're going at it about this totally wrong. And if, if I can, and I am praying so hard about this that I don't care if it's something I say or something God puts in you or something somehow over the next five weeks, I am hoping that you have an epiphany much like I had in the front yard on Shelley Drive in Ellettsville a long time ago. And that is, whoa, there's something here that I've been missing my whole life. I've been pushing this thing. I've been going against the grain and it never felt right. It, I knew there was something more, and this is what I'm hoping you get out of this sermon series. When I was a kid, um, I grew up in church, and, and church to me as a kid was just part of life. And I didn't understand kids that didn't do church, truthfully. And, and when, I was, when I was growing up, we, we had this big um, class at church, and this was the church I grew up in, um, that would help with what's called evangelism. And if you're not a church person, if you're listening online, you're not a church person, what Christians call evangelism is going out and telling other people what you believe and hoping they believe what you believe. And, and we spent a lot of time with this because Jesus said it was an important thing. And when I was a kid, I was sitting in a class, I was like, 
like a good little boy at this point in my life. Um, that would change at times, but um, I was a re- I really wanted to do what was right, and I was sitting in a class for room full of adults as a junior high kid learning to share my faith. And as I was in there, I learned that there are all these different types of inviters, and I, I've learned as an adult, it's not quite as easy as all that. But at that point, we were learning that there's different kinds of invitations that you make to people. And our preacher at that point said, now, John, you may not be the kind of guy that can just go up to somebody and share your faith. So what you need to do is invite them to church. Have you ever heard this before? That preachers will say, and maybe this preacher has said this to you, what you really need to do is just get them here. And when you get them here, we'll take care of sharing Jesus with them. And so I thought, well, that sounds easy. That's going to not get me made fun of as much, and so I'm going to do that. And I had a really good friend at the time. I, I, I talked to Risha about this and almost didn't share this with you this morning, but I think it's good because some of you have gone through this in your life. I had a really good friend at, at the time um, who was an 8th grader when I was a 7th grader, and he would moved into the neighborhood. Long story short, his parents were a mess. They'd had a, uh, they were in the middle of a divorce, and there was domestic violence, and he was a wreck. He would go to class, and he had this junior high teacher. Many of you had a teacher just like this. Junior, junior high teacher who was awful to him. He was in eighth grade, and he was taking classes that seventh graders were taking. And this junior high te- math teacher would, would say things to him and ask him questions that she knew he didn't know the answer to so that he looked stupid, and then she would berate him right in the middle of this divorce. And I just, I, I rode bikes with this kid, and he wasn't involved in church. And I knew as a seventh grader that the nice thing I should say is that you need Jesus and you need church. And so what I decided to do was invite him to my church. The dude had never been inside a church in his life. Never. And I decided to leverage my friendship with him at that moment in my life to invite him to my church. Well, I went to talk to my preacher about it, and he said, John, I think that's a great idea, but I think what you need to do is not invite him to the main service. You need to invite him to youth group, because there that's geared a little bit more toward him. And I thought, okay, that's great. That's even easier, because we have some fun and things. So we got to, I, I invited him, and he kind of was weird about it, but, you know, I, I, he, I, we had a friendship going on. I, I told him it was fun. I told him that the sponsors, the youth sponsors that were here, actually were fun people. And I, something tripped tripped up while I was riding with him on the way to church. He said, yes, my dad picked him up. We were on our way to youth group. I could tell he was nervous. And on the way to church, he said, now who are these, what are youth sponsors? Like, well, they're adults that help the kids. And then I remembered one of our youth sponsors, his math teacher. Uh Uh-huh. I thought, well, surely they won't come in contact with each other much. It's a big church, lots of kids. I'm just going to pretend I didn't even think about that. And, and so I started telling him about what happened. Then we got there, 10 minutes or so, you play basketball and volleyball, and that was fun. And then, then we go to what Christians call worship. And it's a time where we sing songs that nobody else in the world sings, with words in them that nobody on earth actually uses, <laughs> other than in those moments, with songs about things that this kid had never heard or never understood, and we sang for 35 minutes in junior high to a boombox with those overhead projector things where you put the lyrics up. Those of you who were in church at this time know exactly what I'm talking about. And I, in the middle of the worship service, I looked over at my friend, and I realized I've made a major mistake. I invited this guy to church, but this is not what I wanted him to see. 25 minutes in, he's looking over and going, who in the world are these people? What are we singing? And what does the word transfiguration mean? <laughs> and so we ended that, and I thought, okay, the worship's over. You know, like, oh boy. And then the preacher got up, junior high, spoke for 25 minutes, 
about things that had nothing to do with his family, had nothing to do with God, to him had nothing to do with faith or anything that related to his life at all. And I sat there and thought, oh my goodness, I just wish this would be over. I'd never felt that way before in my life about church. And I thought, this is not what I invited this guy to. And then, this is what we always did youth group, then after the, after the message would be over, then we would break up into small groups that were led by youth sponsors. And we would get to talk about the things that are going on in our life and how they relate to the sermon. So it was time, and we broke up into groups, and guess which youth sponsor me and my friend got? It was his math teacher. And he wouldn't even go over to the group. He called his mom, and she came and got him. And sometime after that, I kind of lost relationship with him. We're Facebook friends now, but that's the first connection we've had since high school. It's not what I wanted to happen. If you're visiting with us, you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus person, or if you're listening online, that is the exact story that has kept you out of church. But you need to know that Christian people, we're trying. We're really working hard to do this right and to do it God's way. And something has been messed up. It's part of why I love this place. It's part of why I feel like here at New Life, that we're headed in God's direction. we still got a lot of things that we're working out. And if you're visiting with us or if you're online and you're thinking about visiting with us, you need to know, you might come and we might do something really stupid. We might do something that makes you offended, that makes you feel weird, might do something that isn't representative of God. It's just kind of what, the way we do things. And I'm sorry if that happens, but I, I want you to know that what we want to do is what we believe God has called us to do, and that is this. We want to create a church, not just a building, but a group of people. We want to create a church where non-church people love to attend. Even if they're not sure they believe, even if they're just kind of kicking the tires on it, and I've heard this over and over about this place. I see it on Facebook. I see people say, I don't, I don't necessarily believe what you believe at this point, but, oh man, I just, there's something different when I'm in that building. And, and that's, that's what we're hoping to get here. Because here's what we believe fully, and I've seen this happen over and over and over in my life. Even if you're not sure you believe that Jesus this man that lived 2,000 years ago was God, which is what we believe here, that he was God and that he would die on the cross for our sins and would allow us to go to heaven and have a good relationship with God. If that all freaks you out, that's okay right now because here's what we believe sincerely, and I've seen it happen over and over. If you just follow the ideas that Jesus had when he was here, just the things he said in history, it will make you a better person, it'll make you better at life, and it'll make your life better. I believe both of those things so fervently. But we have somehow messed them up in some ways. And so instead of the church being irresistible, which is how it started, the church was irresistible. People could not stay away from this thing because a man had died and then he came back to life. And then the people that followed this man, they they weren't scared to die anymore because their leader had already beat death. And then they began to treat each other different. They begin to love each other differently. They begin to forgive each other. They begin to, if one guy's gutters were bad, the other guy would go help him. And they begin to, they begin to do things like, at that point in history, plagues were really bad and diseases were really bad. And the, the, the whole community would get a bad disease. It would sweep through an area. And all the kids that had the disease that were orphans would just be left out on the streets to die. And most adults, almost all the adults around would just go, I'm not touching them because if I touch them, I'll get it. Except for one group of human beings at that point. Guess who they were they were jesus followers they were followers of a thing called the way where jesus said you know what you don't have to be scared to die and guess what 
you don't have to be scared of God. Did you know Jesus would say this? He would come to earth and he would say, I am here to start something brand new. It's a different way of doing church. It's a different way of do a relationship with God. I'm here not to make the old thing better. I'm here to leave the old thing and start something new that is a relationship between you and God. And it's going to change everything. And the people who followed Jesus at first, it changed everything. It was a game changer for them. And the world began to see there's something different in these people. But something happened. And the church began to resist, or people, the community began to resist the church because the church started following the old way again. And we're going to talk about that in a second. They started following the old way to do church and the old way to do religion and the old way to relate to God. They started mixing it with the things that Jesus was teaching. And as they began to mix those things, it held them back from being who Jesus wanted them to be and being who God wanted them to be. It held them back from that peace and the hope and that game-changing attitude about life. I believe today that the majority of the things that people resist, that that unchurched people resist about church, are things Christians ought to resist too. At that point in history, the only reason people resisted the church was because the people involved in the church believed that Jesus was God. And that was hard for people to to accept because they they would say that Jesus is our king. And at that point, they had a king, and it was dangerous. And so people would say, I don't, I don't like what the church says about Jesus. But all the rest of the things they stand for, I want in my life. Now, in, in, in this day and age, I don't remember the last time or ever I ever heard somebody, when I tell them I'm a preacher, this happens to me all the time, I'll be on the golf course, somebody will drop a few F-bombs while I'm playing golf, you know, and we'll get up to the next tee, and finally they'll go, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> like, well, what I do for a living is I'm a video production guy, but what I do for my life is I'm a preacher. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, I deal with that all the time. I don't, I don't even, it, it doesn't bother me. But, but then there'll be this moment where they'll go, oh, yeah, I used to be in church. Used to be in church. And not one of them, there's always a story coming. And it always involves hypocrisy. It always involves that junior high teacher that says she's one thing, and then at church she tries to be something else. It always involves some ritual or something that the church did to hurt them. It always involves some people not being who God wanted them to be. But I have never stood on the next tee box and heard somebody say, yeah, I used to go to church, but that whole Jesus is God thing, that offends me. I've never heard that said. And that is the only single reason that Jesus said people should be offended by a Christian. The only reason. But we have offended and caused resistance over things that just aren't God things. So Jesus brought the end to some things. And I want to tell you about what they are today. And I'm going to try to try to do this at a 10,000 foot view because there's tons of historians and doctrinal theses written on these topics and I'm trying to make it so that I can understand it today and I hope that you get it too. The temple model of religion that happened when Jesus came, you're going to recognize a little bit because it's still infiltrated our society and it's still part of religion today and even part of this church in ways we're trying to kind of get rid of as we can. The temple version of religion is, is not, not just the, the Jewish temple at the time, but temple religion in general where people would, would get into their own people groups and they would create their own little things. They would have sacred places. They would have these huge, beautiful buildings that they would build and they would say God lives there, whether it's Jehovah God or whether it's the god of something or the greek god or some god or another they would build these beautiful buildings they would say this place is sacred because god lives there 
And then they would have these sacred texts, they would, and they were always written by men, and men would write these things, and they would be rules that people would have to live by. And then men, again, would stand up on a stage somewhere, and they would tell people the way that they're supposed to live so that they can get to heaven or they can get to eternal life. And these sacred places, these sacred men would stand and say things written sacredly and, uh, on text. And then superstitious people, and people who were scared to die, and good people, just wanted the truth, would follow them. Jesus came to earth and he said this, I want to create something brand new. We're going to hit this piece of scripture in a minute and I'm going to tell you exactly the words he used. He said, I want you to do something new. So Jesus, you mean you want 2.0 of temple religion? Nope. That's gone. God is introducing a new thing. It served its time in in history. God is introducing a new thing, and I've come to be the game changer. I've come to tell you about it. Jesus said, you have a new relationship with God. No longer do you need to go to a sacred man, a person who is set apart by God in order to get close to God. You don't have to do that. Jesus said, I've got a new command. It has more to do with how you live than what you believe. I've got a new command. It has more to do about ethics and loving people. And I have a new movement I want you to be a part of. Check this out. Next slide. Jesus would say this. Man, this is what would get him killed. These are the kinds of things that would get him killed. But you need to know, if you're visiting with us or if you're trying to know about Jesus, these are the things that Jesus actually said about religion, okay? Here's what he said. He said, you know what? You guys have been going to a sacred place to worship. And the way Jesus teaches, he always points at something, you know, and he's always around it. You, You guys have been going right there to the temple, to worship. And you've called that sacred and you've told your kids not to run there because it's the house of God. And you've, you've, you've been creating these incredibly expensive buildings that could feed everybody in town for years because you believe that that place is sacred. And Jesus says, listen to this, Jesus says, dirt isn't sacred anymore. Stone isn't sacred anymore. And people leaned in. Well then what is sacred, Jesus? And he goes, listen to this, You are the temple. You are the new sacred place of God. Now, wait a minute, though, God. What do you mean I'm a place? I I go to the temple to worship. No, no, no. God doesn't live there. God now lives in you. You are the temple. So the next time, Jesus would say this to his followers, the next time you go see a big mound of thing, of monstrosity that says God lives here on it, you remember this, that no dirt, no stone, no brick, no mortar is ever again sacred because you are the sacred thing. And so you need to know this from, straight from Jesus, that this building that we're in right now is beautiful and it's wonderful and it allows us to do ministry. But the dirt it sits on and the walls it's built on are nothing compared to the person you're sitting next to right now when it comes to the way God feels about it being sacred. It changed everything. Jesus said, and by the way, all you guys that think you're close to God and this is the people need to come through you to get to God, no more sacred men. And at that point, when he said that, women became a different thing in culture. In fact, to this day, to this day, anywhere that Christianity following Jesus is rejected, the women and the children are treated the worst. Jesus came and he said, little babies, you need to be like that. 
And then he said, women, there is no man, no woman anymore. You know what, how big a deal this was in that culture? But we still, in this place, not just here in this church, all over America, all over the world, we still bring the temple model in. We still have these like sacred places, kind of. And it's not really, but we kind of treat it that way. We still have these sacred men that stand on stages. I mean, the elephant in the room is, what am I doing right now? And it's almost always men. And Jesus says, don't confuse this morning John with God. Don't even confuse John this morning with somebody that you need to come and listen to so you can be closer to God. Because God lives where you sit. Wherever you sit. So if you're listening online today, we want you in this building. You don't know how bad we want you in this building. But it's not because God lives here. It's because when the temples of God, the people of God who have God living inside them, when they come together, something weird happens. And I don't mean weird in a bad way, although sometimes that happens too. I mean weird in an amazing, life-changing, life-altering way. And we want you to be a part of it. Jesus would say, no more animal sacrifice. At this point in, in history, if you wanted to, to be close to God, you would have to go to a priest or go to somebody, a sacred man who was close to God, and you'd have to bring a, an animal, a good animal, not one with a bum leg or something like that. You have to bring a, a good animal to, to the priest, and you would have to sacrifice it, and that blood would atone for your sins. And Jesus would say to people, now I know this doesn't sound shocking to you, but to these people, remember how shocking this would be. Jesus would say, no more animal sacrifice. No more animal sacrifice. Wait, wait, wait a minute. We have, Jesus, we have whole communities of humans who raise animals just for sacrifice. You're going to kill the economy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, G, because God isn't concerned with animal sacrifice. Well, what is God concerned with then? He's concerned with personal sacrifice. Now, he would like for you to take the things that belong to you and give them to other people. What God would like for you to do now instead of take an animal to somebody and and bleed it to death, he would like for you to take your life. And Jesus would even use the words, and and some of the writers about Jesus would even use the words living sacrifice, which freaked people out. The idea was that everything in my life is God's and I will give it to anybody at any time. Jesus would say, because then you got all the leaders around Jesus, all the religious leaders who had memorized the whole Bible. They had memorized the Bible and the all 650 or so Old Testament um, uh, commands and like laws and rules. They had memorized and they were holding people to them. And so they would say, well, Jesus, what do we do with all these laws and all these rules? And Jesus said, man, he just wasn't politically correct at all. He, he just looked right at him and he said, listen, here's what you do with them. I came to fulfill them with one new law. And that law would be to love the people around you. And then he would say, so now, how you measure whether or not you're right with God is no longer vertical. It's now horizontal. It's the people you live with, it's the people, this is how you know that you and God are okay. This is how you know that you're growing closer to God when you start to treat the people around you differently. Jesus didn't come to create something a little different. He, create, he came to create something entirely new. And what we've done and yes, I mean we, even at New Life, this is the best church I've ever been in when it comes to this. And that's why you couldn't drag me away from here. But us today, right here in this place, we have things that are holding us back that are left over from temple model religion. 
I'm not going to start naming them because I might get fired. No, I wouldn't. You, you love me and I love you, and, but we all hang on to these things, and I do it too. We hang on to these religious rules and these things that we think are what make us close to God. We think they are what God wants from us, but in the long run, Jesus came to say, I came to create something totally different. And here's what he did. In John chapter 3, verse 12, he, he preached all those things and he talked about all those things, and then it came time for him to die. And he knew it, but his closest followers didn't know it. They didn't know that he was going to die. They didn't understand why he needed to die. In fact, a couple of the tough guys in his group, he would say, I'm going to die, and they'd be like, no, not on my watch. Not as long as I got my sword, you're not going to die. And Jesus was like, no, you don't understand. This is God's plan for me to die. But they didn't get that, and they, they, they went into this upper room um, before Jesus were to die, and he, he did something that you just didn't do at that time in history. There were slaves all over the world at that time in history. And you've read about this and you've seen this. Um, American history has slaves and they were awful. And it was an awful way of living and we're so glad we're away from that. But at this point in history, slaves were, most of them even treated worse in a lot of ways. And at this point in history, you didn't have Nike and Adidas and all the shoemakers. You had some basic sandals, but for the most part, people didn't wear much shoe at all. And so, and they walked everywhere they went, and it was dirty and dusty. And everywhere they went, they would get the mud, uh, the dirt in their feet. And, you know, people didn't shower every day or bathe every day because you just couldn't afford it. So, you know, those of you who have kids know exactly what I'm talking about. You get not just dirty feet, but you get like between your toes kind of mud, you know, and like dirt that doesn't come from the earth, but like comes out of your skin and mixes with the dirt from the earth. Like, you know, you've got boys, some of you, you know what this is. It's the dirty junior high smelly feet that are among, on all these men. And so what they would do is they would hire slaves. And, and if you were a very important person or you were having an important party or an important meeting, you would hire slaves to come in or servants to come in. And they would come in and they would wash your feet for you. This whole group of people. There was no worse job than to wash your feet. Now, if you were a teacher, if you were a rabbi, if you were a, especially if you were a priest, you, and a lot, a lot of priests, they weren't even allowed by their laws to touch things that were dirty. So you would never even touch your own feet. Somebody else had to touch your own feet. That's how dirty your feet would get, and you weren't allowed to touch them. So teachers never did this. Preachers never did this. Religious leaders never washed feet. They had their feet washed. Religious leaders, religious people were the foot washees. And Jesus does something game-changing. He changes the leadership paradigm for everyone. And if you're a business owner or you're somehow involved in, in leading people in some way at work, you've got a cubicle full of people that are working and you're in charge, you need to hear this today. Jesus stood up in the middle of this meeting and he said, Hey guys, I'm going to wash your feet. And they all went, no, 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 Jesus, uh, the, the servant will be here pretty soon. Jesus is like, no, 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 I sent him home. Well, Jesus, you're not, one of them says, Jesus, I don't care what happens today, but you're not washing my feet. Because people don't wash my feet that look and sound and act like you do. Jesus, you don't wash my feet because then, hang on now, wait a minute, this sounds really funny, Jesus, I know, but if you wash my feet, then you're like higher than me, and you're better than me, and you're smarter than me, and that would mean I would have to wash other people's feet, so ain't no way you're washing my dirty, nasty, smelly feet, and Jesus says, if I don't, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have any part of me, and it's kind of cool, the same guy says, well, then wash everything, Jesus is like, hey, let's stick to the feet, okay, <laughs> so Jesus begins to wash the feet 
of these men, which wasn't done. You don't do this. He began to wash the feet, and the Bible doesn't quite tell us, but I know Jesus, and I, I can't imagine him not speaking to them, speaking into their lives about their kids, about their faith, about their homes, about what they're going to do next, about who they are as he washes their feet. One of the guys, one of the guys he'd be washing the feet of, he already knew had betrayed him. He already knew that this guy who he's washing the feet of would kill him. Another guy, he said, you're going to deny me in my worst part of my life. You're going to deny me three times. And he washed his feet as he knew it. And he got all the way around the room. And he said, do you understand what I've done to you? This is chapter, 12, or chapter 3, verse 12 of John. Do you understand what I've done to you? Everybody goes, no. <laughs> no. I think he saw deer in the headlights. Do you understand the game changer this is? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That's what I am. So if I, the master and the teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. Yeah, but Jesus, what about, what about all the rules? What about keeping the people, the bad people, but what about telling them the rules and making sure and then telling them they're bad when they don't do it? We're doing something new, guys. It's about washing, just washing feet. Yeah, it's about meeting needs. It's about loving people. And he would go on. Let me give you a new command, Jesus would say. This is not a temple worship 2.0. This is not a, the way things used to be is getting better. Let me give you something brand new. Love one another. At some point, somebody said, Jesus, all of these rules, what's the most important one? And he said, that all, not only is this the most important one, none of the rest of the rules mean anything unless you keep this one. Love people and love God. In the same way I loved you, Jesus says, you love one another. Well, now that changes things. You mean even though I'm going to mess you over later? Yeah. You mean even though I messed you over last week? Yeah. You mean even though that I'm, I could take advantage of you at any moment and probably are taking advantage of you right now, I'm still supposed to? Yeah, that's the new thing. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. Yeah, but what about my Jesus fish on the back of my Volkswagen? God, won't, Jesus, won't they know that way? No, I don't care. What about my Christian t-shirt? They'll know I'm a, no. Nobody cares about that. You get that? Especially if you're not living it. This is how they know. When they see the love you have for one another. Imagine a world. Just imagine a world where you could wake up this morning, tomorrow morning, and live like this. It, you know what it would take first? It would take new energy for you because I know what you're thinking tomorrow morning about God. Same thing I am. It's old temple religion infiltrating us it's us going what do i have to do today to be okay with god what do i have to say to god what what rules do i have to follow today what thing do i have to put in my mouth during communion what do i have to say what prayer do i have to pray what ritual do i have to partake in what do i have to do to be right with god and i spend all of my time as it comes to god thinking about how i can be okay with god and what Jesus said was, I've come for something new. No more animal sacrifice. No more wondering how you're okay with God. No more wondering what new little thing you need to do. Jesus said, I've come to say this. You and God, 
you're good. You accept this new thing and the new covenant that comes with it. You and God are good. But what if God, yeah, you and God are good. Yeah, but what if then I do that? Yeah, you and God are good. Now you get up and stop trying to find another animal to sacrifice. Stop looking for the next rule to keep somebody else held to so you feel a little bit better about the ones you're breaking. And know this, you and God are good. If you really believe that, you'd have the energy to get up in the morning and put all of your faith thoughts, all of your God thoughts, into <laughs> loving the person next to you. And this is what I mean. When this, when this happens, and it has happened in small pockets throughout history, when this happens on a mass scale, where people that are close to God, they wake up in the morning and they go, you know what, today I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure out whether I'm okay with God and whether my neighbor's okay with God and whether that lady and this person and that person. I'm going to get up this morning and do the new thing. I'm going to get up this morning and at all costs, I'm going to wash the feet. I'm going to look for the things that are detestable that no one else will do. I'm going to look for the things in the very people that I would have hated before. I'm going to look for the things that sets me apart. Can you imagine what it would look like in your life and in this community? It'd be a game changer. <laughs> I hate the title of this sermon because it's so overused, but I can't think of a better one, truthfully. It would be just as big an epiphany in your life and in your family's life if you got up this morning and knew you were good with God and that your next step and your main purpose in life was to look for those who God puts in front of you and just love them differently. If you, if you could do that, it, it would be a game changer. Band, you guys can come up. So that uh, junior high teacher that I told you about at the beginning, um, I almost didn't share that story because she's still connected to me in ways and I just, I know she knows. She'd know. Just in case she knows, I still love you if you're listening. But about three years ago, I ran into her. Um, she lives in a different state now and just can't get out of me that feeling, you know? You have people like that in your life that I can't believe you did that and it just, ugh, that creepy kind of I got snakes on me feeling when you run into somebody like that. And I sat and I, uh, as I prayed through this today, I remember the way I treated her that day. You know, when I come in here on Sunday mornings, I smile and laugh and shake hands, and that's me. It really is. That's, that's authentic. But you'd be shocked the way I treated her three years ago when I ran into her. You'd be really disappointed in me. And as I prayed about this sermon, she just kept coming to my mind. Like, John, are you going to stand on stage like a sacred man, giving people a sacred text, telling them how to live their life in a sacred building, when you are the very, you've got the exact problem in your life with somebody that you're holding to rules and judging? Man, I had this moment. That's why I ended up going ahead and sharing that story, because I had this moment where I just went, God, I forgive her and the way you forgive me. And I did it for real. It wasn't in a Christian churchy way. It was like this real, it really is gone. 
And my next moment, I love this. My next moment, I just went, now who's next? In my brain and in my heart, I literally went, who's next? And the harder, the better. One of my favorite things is, uh, is shoot them up movies. Love them. Die Hard, Bruce Willis. Ugh. Love it. And I love that moment where, and it never would happen in real life, where Bruce Willis is standing with eight guns and the bad guys are coming at him and he's just taking them all down. And he gets to this moment where he starts yelling and he's got blood all over him. And yeah, it's not what you meant to hear at church today, but this is, this is it, you know, and it's that insane moment. And then all of a sudden he looks up like, I hope there's more. That's the moment I had this morning in a much different way. But it, it becomes easier all of a sudden. Just go, who, who's next? So I, I'm just going to ask you today. Who's God laying on your heart? Who's next? You and God are good. Okay? It's one thing to believe in God, believe that God exists and created the universe and all those things. Some, most of you or a lot of you believe in God, or at least at times you believe in God. But believing God, believing what He says is true, is a lot harder than believing in God. And guess what? He's not really that concerned that you believe in Him. It's believing what he says is true that changes your life. So here's what he said about you. That if you give your life to him in just one moment, you're good. We try to make it really hard. And I've got to be honest, churches are the worst at making this hard. But you need to know that's the message of Jesus. Those of you who have accepted Jesus, maybe you need to hear it today that you're good. And maybe you need to hear next that you've got to get your first things first in your life. Whatever it is that you're putting first, whether it's money or stuff or people or whatever it is, maybe you're putting your kids first and you think that's okay because it's about people, but you are missing the point of your life that God wants you to look for the next person in front of you to love differently. And Jesus said there's just one question, just really one question, that this new kind of covenant, this new religion, this new endeavor takes and the question is this what does love require of me right now what's my next step some of you are sitting here today with people that you hate really close to your life some of you are living next to neighbors who have nothing while you throw away food some of you are, are, are in this church and have fighting with somebody. And Jesus said one time about that, hey, guess what? If you, go to, if you go to worship God, if you go to be where God is, and there you remember that somebody you're, messing, that you're messed up with, that somebody you're close to you're messed up with, Jesus said, guess what? God can wait. Don't even go to worship until you get it right with them. Today's your chance. The thing about the lawnmower changed my life. I mean, it's subtly. But things got so much easier, and I had this epiphany. And the thing about it is I use it every day. Every time I mow the yard, I, I use that knowledge. And what I'm praying today is that maybe through this sermon or through this four or five weeks we spend together on this topic, that you'll have an epiphany, that you'll understand what God has for your life, and that mowing the yard or living the life God intended for you will never be as clear as it is right now. I'm praying for you. I'm going to go back to that room. I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you want to stand with us and sing, I'll be right back there. I'd love to have a chance to pray with you about the way God loves you today.